It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly free edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. It's, as always, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. We'll talk about some sports topics locally, uh, maybe a national topic or two, especially when it comes to our gambling segment. We've got a gambling segment where we make picks on uh, area games and a handful of relevant national games. And, of course, my favorite segment of the show where you can ask me a question on any topic. Just go to Twitter. Hit me up on hashtag. Actually, hit Rick up on hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick, college basketball season's underway. I know we're going to talk about that, but I know you had a busy couple of days. I, I know that Tuesday, from my perspective, um, we, we technically put stories on seven teams up. Uh, Indiana being the big state school in Indiana, Ohio State, Kentucky, um, and and Miami, and then NKU, Xavier, UC. I, I don't recall. I honestly, I really am not sure if I recall a night where all seven played at the same time. Yeah, it seems like always a couple of them are on that second night at least. But right, it, right. we had everybody rocking. I know when I was driving to the NKU game, I was listening to Mo Egger's show, and he was talking about how they had five different game broadcasts going right. on in the iHeart <laughs> studios That's that funny. night, which has to be pretty wild. Yeah, and they also have Louisville as well. So yeah, that, that we don't we don't put them on our website, obviously. But um, uh, yeah, they 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 have Louisville on their network too. So man, they had a lot going on. Yeah, I, the best time of the year, in my opinion. But that first couple of days is always interesting getting back into the swing of things here with it being so hectic. Well, and, and honestly, from a even from a viewing perspective, it, it was hard for me to watch a lot of um, national games, for lack of a better term. I tuned into a little bit of Villanova's first game because they played in the afternoon. It was you know, good background noise to have it on, and and I had basketball practice myself, so I kind of listened to Xavier and, and UC and and on the way to the game and, and on the way back from practice, then you know watch the Kentucky game because that kind of became the only game in town at that point. So. Um, yeah, and you know, you're looking up and, and you're seeing, uh, you know, different teams with, with some of them have been harried in the first few games, winning close. And you've seen some blowouts where you're like, okay, that team, you thought they had talent, they've got it. But all this stuff is so funny because we all make the snap judgments on game one. And then you look up and we have a separate, separate team in on January 13th. Right. And then you have a separate team than that on February 26th. It, it, it's just, that's the beauty of college basketball season to me more than any other sport is just how different teams can be from point A to point B to point C to, to the end. I also like how we're in the, the thick of the college football race and yep. those conversations and arguments. So everyone's in that mode. And then you get into college basketball, they see a team lose their first game or play bad in their first game. And they start losing their mind because that's the situation in college football, right? You can't lose one game. Every game matters. You need style points, all of that. It's like basketball is just a different sport, folks. Like, yeah, no question. You're going to have no three question. or four games this year where you're just going to stink. That's how it yep. is. While we're on the topic of that conversation, let's start right there. All the local college basketball teams were in action for opening night of the season. Let's do a little trip around the region and quickly hit on each game, starting with the most interesting, which was the Champions Classic matchup at Madison Square Garden between Duke and Kentucky. Duke won that one 79 to 71. Skinny, what was your, your takeaway from the Champions Classic matchup? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, those couple of Duke freshmen are really good. I, I can't pronounce his last name. Paolo Bancaro, or however you pronounce it, is is just superb. But let, let's do it from the Kentucky perspective. Um, by all means, I think Duke is a really nice team for sure. I thought Kentucky showed some of the pieces that I think are going to make them really good. I mean, Oscar Shebway is just a monster on the offensive glass. He's robotic. He doesn't finish great, but he's so he's just so physical, and he reads the offensive rebounds so well that he's going to buy them. We talked about last year. They, they didn't get a chance to be, have many extra possessions bought on the offensive glass. He bought them a chunk. 
I thought Severe Wheeler was really good until Severe Wheeler decided I'm still at Georgia and I'm going to take over this game single-handedly. And that that's when he got himself into trouble with with too much dribbling, too much driving into traffic. Um, you know, you look up and he, you know, he's he's got a double double with with points and assists, and and on the surface that looks good. And I do I do like Severe Wheeler a lot, but I thought he tried to do way too much in the second half. I like what I saw of Kellen Grady. He missed some shots, but I think he's going to be a shot maker when all is said and done. Um, and Ty Ty Washington was a bit disappointing, but that's the first game he's played at the college level with real competition. So I'm going to chalk that up to that. Um, I did like the way Jacob Toppin played. I thought he gave them some good minutes. I did not like the way Keon Brooks played. And I, I'm interested to see down the road, where do Dante Allen and CJ Frederick fit on the court? Because Davion Mintz is kind of that third shooter, the third guy, if you will, on the wing, maybe fourth guy on the wing, I guess. Where do those two guys fit? I think there should be a place for either or both. I still think they need that extra shooter on the floor. Uh, but you know Cal, man, he's he, neither one of them are great defensively. So what's he going to do with that? So all in all, I, I, I think this is going to be a good Kentucky team. I do get those that, that, and I've heard, I listened to a couple of shows as I was driving around yesterday, one out of Lexington where people are losing their minds already. And I do think there's a hangover effect of last season of, well, this team was sub-500 and couldn't get out of it. Here we go again. I, I fully get that, but I do think Duke's pretty good, and I thought Kentucky played pretty well in spurts. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have felt that way at all if I was a Kentucky fan. I would have felt majorly refreshed by that performance and thought, okay, good. It's not going to be like last year because that team looked a lot different from Kentucky teams of not just last year, but the last few years, in my opinion. I came away more impressed with both teams. Like my thought after that game was if there are eight teams better than Duke and Kentucky this year in college basketball, it's going to be a pretty damn good year in college basketball. Yeah. yeah. Cause those are two pretty talented teams going at it. And it was an entertaining game. I, there were things that Kentucky certainly could have done better, but like you said, it's the first game of the year. If they weren't playing against a really talented Duke team, they probably win against most other teams on that night, I think, even even though they didn't play at their best. So uh, there's plenty of upside still for this group. I'm, I'm with you. I'm interested to see how the rotations play the, their way out as like C.J. Frederick works his way back from his injury and, and gets back to 100%. So th- there's some things that have to be maneuvered and that need to come together for this team. But I liked what I saw, especially with Shibway, because – Cal hasn't had like a badass in the paint like that since Bam that I can recall. It's, you know, the the one and done freshman. He's had some really talented guys, but none that bring a little intimidation factor in the paint with you and bring that type of physicality and toughness. So I think he he's going to be very happy with what Shibway gives this team. Yeah, and Rick, you just can't quantify guys who know how to offensive rebound. Sometimes it is brute strength. So I think there's guys that just, I mean, Dennis Rodman was so good at it for one reason. He just knew how to read angles. There was a knack for that. Well, you couldn't even coach that, right? You couldn't. He knew how to just read angles and go to where he thought misses were going to go, and he was a pogo stick going to get him. Shibway looks like he knows how to play angles and then use his body to, to shield people off to go get those, those, those balls off those angles. And I'm telling you, I... Getting those extra possessions per trip is, it, I think it's it's really hard on defenses when you think you got to stop and you didn't get the rebound, and and instead of you going the other way, he kicks it out for somebody banging a three. I think overall that's going to add up as the season goes along. Well, it's also for a team that isn't the best at shooting from the outside, and this right, Kentucky right. team is going to be better than past Kentucky teams, I think. But even still, it allows you to find points without having to get great looks or run great offense to do it, right? Sometimes you just take that quick shot or you, you rim out a three and he's there to bail you out on that possession. That that 
can be invaluable for a team that's sometimes sputtering on the offensive end. And I do think this Kentucky team will be much better defensively. So if they can find a consistent source of offense, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. All right, here comes, here comes my snap. My snap real quick before we go on. What, what does Keon Brooks give that team? I think they've got to figure it out. I mean, he's he's a veteran. He can give them some scoring. He can they give them a little bit of spot shooting. But to me, he has to buy into being a great rebounder and a tough defender that's locked in and doesn't have lapses. Because to this point, he really hasn't been solid in those areas of his game. Yeah, I think that's where Jacob Toppin gets more minutes. He could. The problem with Toppin, though, is offensively, he takes away from them so much because teams just play off of him and aren't really guarding him. And it crowds everybody else in the paint. So I'm not sure. I thought they really struggled when Toppin was in there. Mm, I thought he gave him a lot of good energy, to be honest with you. Uh, But I'll go back to I I think the one thing for Cal is figuring all the stuff out we're talking about is what what does give him the best offensive looks and defensive looks at the same time. And I think that's going to be a long work in progress through this month and next month before you get to SEC play. I really do. Yeah, well, it's going to be a fun team to watch. I mean, this Kentucky team was fascinating the way Cal put it together in the offseason. It's not his usual roster. And either way, I think they're very talented, but there is a lot to figure out there. So I think they're going to be interesting to watch one way or another. Uh, The second game that I think was most interesting locally was that Xavier 63, Niagara 60 final. The Musketeers just squeak one out. I know you probably saw some of this one, Skinny. What was your your take as you're seeing the Musketeers try to hang on with free throws at the end against Niagara? It, it felt like deja vu all over again. It, it did. And, and I, again, I don't want to go too over my skis with it, obviously. But and, and the final margin was because a guy did bang a three at the end. So, I mean, it wasn't like Xavier, you know, had to make a last stop or or go make a free. They did make free throws down the stretch. Jerome Hunter, I think, went four or four down the stretch. But um, I'm just going to go back to I'm giving the keys to Dwan Odom and just saying, get the hell out of the road, and he's going to set everybody else up. I, I think that's the best they can do for right now. I I know Deontay Miles gave him good minutes in the middle, and that's all well and good. I'm, I'm going to and, – and Hunter got nine rebounds, but it, is he a – is he a better score than 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 uh, the the goof nut from last Jason year? Jason Carter. Jason Carter. Is he is he better than that? I, I don't I don't know. I, I go back. I think the best lineup is 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 the small guys and Deontay Miles and, and Odom getting downhill. Uh, I'd like to see that evolve as the season goes along. I'm going to go go to the game on Friday with a friend of mine when they play Kent State. So I'm kind of looking forward to getting a chance to see the a full game in in person. Um, you know, you'll, you'll know it better than I will. So I'm just going off the snap stuff I saw and read and and, and reading box scores and tea leaves. Uh, for the most part, but uh, it, it just felt like same old, same old. And and uh, I, listen, I, look, missing Zach Fremantle's huge. I, I'm not going to discount that, and nobody should discount that. But you know, you're going to have to win a game with him in foul trouble at some point too. So you, it just it just felt like the same again, right? Well, I understand why people feel that way, and that's where I think the reaction to this game has to be taken with a grain of salt. Because normally, you would look at the Xavier fans who are getting upset about this and say, have you never watched college basketball in your life? Like you're going to freak out about a close opener openers. This happens all the time. It means nothing, but except (laughs) yeah, it's kind of like, it's totally unfair to view Xavier through the same prism. We view the Bengals. Like they, they have built up a whole lot more goodwill than that, but it's kind of the same concept we talk about going into this year with Zach Taylor and going into this year with Travis Steele a little bit in that the benefit of the doubt is kind of gone for him, right? Like people are going to attach the last couple of years 
to this year when things go wrong, even if it's right out of the gate. So when you see them struggling to close against a, a lesser opponent, when you see them not rebounding well enough, when you see them struggling with ball screen coverages, when you see them settling for too many three-pointers and not shooting a high enough percentage, and the offense goes through long stretches where they can't score, people are going to feel like it's continuation of, if nothing else, last season because there are a lot of the same players. You may not go back to two years ago because – this team is very different from that, but right, at right. least with this same grouping of personnel for the most part and this same coach, these are a lot of the same things that concerned everybody last year and were an issue. So I get where everyone's coming from on that front. Uh, I think replacing Zach Freeman is clearly going to be a bigger problem than maybe some of us thought. We thought maybe there was more depth and more scoring on this team. Losing 17, 18 points a game, not easy to replace as it turns and, out. And, and, and a potential all-league guy. Yeah, let's face it, 17 to 18, I don't want to call them easy points a game, but easier points a game around the bucket, jump hooks, not having to, you know, shoot jump shots and 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 go four of ten from three points. We're talking about easier points to play through, and then defense is having to adjust to that guy. So I think I think it is a big factor in him being out. I'm not discounting that by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I still need to see more from the other guys. Yeah, I think the positive sign for you is that one, Paul Scruggs really set a tone defensively. I mean, he made multiple steals and deflections and plays on that end of the court where he was constantly locked in. He was giving you great intensity on the defensive end, which hasn't always been his forte, even though he he's a solid defender. He's had a tendency to have some lapses off the ball in the past, things like that. But I thought he was really good in that regard. And then also Colby Jones, was super aggressive on the offensive end. He didn't play all that well. He had too many turnovers. He missed too many shots. But I thought that was the style of play that you want to see from Colby Jones if you're a Xavier fan. Maybe a few less threes, but for the most part, he was one of the guys that was trying to get downhill a little bit more. He was getting some paint touches. He was trying to make plays for his teammates, even though he threw the ball away a couple of times. I think Colby Jones had the look of a guy who understands how important he's going to be to this offense, at least while Zach Freeman was down. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I just, I need to see, I need to see more. I need to not feel like it's, it's, it's last year again. And I think that's for Xavier fans. That's a fair way to feel at the moment because, um, it, it's Niagara, man. And and I get it's just the opener and look around. There are other teams that scuffled in their openers and some of them, a couple of them lost and and all those. The things. entire but, ACC lost basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I just, I just, it just felt like yeah. Here we go again. Cincinnati 65, Evansville 43, the final from Fifth Third Arena. And this Cincinnati team is another one that's going to be fun to watch and interesting to watch as the year progresses, just because there's so many question marks and so many unknowns, and there's a brand new coach. I'm just curious to see what we can expect from this team. And at least the first test of the season looks pretty good, Skinny. Yeah, and and I, I heard you and Chad Brendel along with with Mo Egger uh, um, last week, kind of previewing each team's season. And, and I know the the big question we talked about this on the podcast this week is is when you play somebody good, who's going to get you twenty? Who's going to get you that big bucket when it mattered? Well, in some of these games, it may not matter. I mean, this game, you know, Jeremiah Davenport led the way with eleven, and David Julius had nine, and it was extremely spread out. And that's probably going to be the case a lot of times. And I think you're going to be able to get away with that if you defend the way you did, but it's also Evansville you're defending against. I do think the thing for UC that's interesting, Rick, is they've got an extremely winnable game. I don't think Georgia's very good. I mean, it sounds good because they're from the SEC and it's the second game of the year, and that sounds like a good test, and it'll be a, certainly a better test than Evansville. But outside of that, a game at Illinois um, a week from Monday and then the, the Crosstown shootout with Xavier – They've got a chance to build confidence and 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 build something through this non-conference 
to where maybe they lose a game or two, probably two for sure. I would think Xavier and 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 Illinois. I don't think they lose to Georgia. I mean, if if they can build some confidence with guys and get some people to know what roles are and figure out who my key scorers are, they got a chance when they get to the American to do some some pretty good things, in my opinion. So I think they've they've done themselves a favor. As a team from a scheduling perspective, I don't know if they've done the fans much of a favor from a scheduling perspective for some of these games. But yeah, I mean, if you're talking about starts and putting together a roster and not knowing what all you got and, and trying to figure it out on the fly, Wes Miller's debut was a good one. They clearly played to their strength, which is going to be defense this season. But if you're the UC fan base right now, I think that's what a lot of people wanted to see. I think people wanted a return to kind of the Mick way of doing things and a commitment to defense and toughness and all that. And that's where this team will excel. And I think what we saw in that Evansville game, and granted, it's just like all the others, it's just one game and it's kind of meaningless because Evansville isn't as talented and doesn't recruit nearly as well as you, but because of the way they played defense, because of how hard they played, I think they established a certain baseline that is mm-hmm. a good sign. They're, they're not going to really struggle with the Evansvilles of the world, I don't think. That, that, that was pretty clear by the, the way that they played, how hard they played, and the how connected they were defensively. That looked like a legit group. They weren't out there disorganized, even though it's a, a group that had to gel under a new coach and a new way of doing things. So I thought it was a good first showing. You can't take a ton from it, but I think it was a good sign that they're going to be okay at the very least, yep. and, and there's still plenty of upside for them to grow, too. Yeah, like I mentioned, I mean, again, you've, you've, I, I, I haven't, uh, we don't know the, the number yet. I'll be willing to bet you they're favored five and a half, six over Georgia on Saturday, and I think they win the game. And yeah, um, then you look up and you only have two more tests really in the in the non con. I mean, uh, that that doesn't do much maybe for your resume if you're thinking about it, but it does does something to try to build that team heading into conference play in January. I think it's I think it's big for a team like this. Yeah, the resume for them does not matter this year. I mean, right, maybe at some point right. it does. We get to that point where we're talking about it, but for right now. They're just trying to win some games and be competitive and get this thing on the right track. This was a, a good first step on, on the long path of the season. But also in the AAC, it's it's not going to be too deep or too difficult of a league. Right. If you're good defensively and you're really tough, that's proven it can be competitive at the top of this conference. So who knows? Maybe we will be talking about their resume when we get midway through the season here. Yep. Finally, NKU takes down Division Two Wheeling 82-54. Obviously, I, I called this game. I was there in person. Did you get to to see anything of from this? No, n- no. But here's the one thing. Here's the big question I need to ask you, though, Rick. See if I pronounce this right. Hubertus Pivorius. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, we call him Hubie. Hubie. Did, did was was he supposed to be like uh, like the 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 the, uh, the Vinnie Johnson, the microwave off the bench? It, well. That's what that's what's great. I mean, for those of us that were coming to practice a little bit, we knew he could really shoot. But you also see the guy and, he, you know, he's listed at maybe 6'2", 180 or something like that. He's not that big. I mean, he just does not pass the eye test at all. He looked more like a Division two or an NIA type body uh, when he's out there on the floor. But well, and, and, I, and honestly, maybe maybe that is effective against Wheeling Jesuit and down the road. He's not going to be able to be that effective against better teams. Oh, that's that's certainly a possibility. But here's the other thing. Last year, what did NKU really struggle to do? Yeah. Shoot from the outside, no, right? right? Right. He comes off the bench in a game where they're playing hard, they're playing solid defensively, but they can't get it going offensively for for the first ten minutes or so of the first half. He immediately gives them a spark. He hits 
three quick threes in short succession. He hits another three before the end of the first half to give him four of them. He hits five for the game and finishes with a game-high 19 points. You can say, yeah, it's just against Wheeling, but wide-open threes are wide-open threes, and that's what you're asking that guy to do. Uh, You you didn't have a guy who could do that last year off the bench, so that is what I'm fascinated to know. Was it just because he was feeling it on the right night against a Division II opponent? Or is is Hubie going to be a player off the bench for you? And from what I've seen in practice, he has such a high IQ. He understands how to play. He's more than just a spot-up shooter, even though the way he looks, he certainly looks like a specialist. I think he's going to be able to give them minutes. And if nothing else, if a team tries to do what Oakland did last year in the conference tournament and go to a funky zone against you, you have that zone buster type of player on your bench that you know is a threat. Rick, what, what did you come out of the game maybe still questioning? You want to get the starters going a little bit more. I mean, if you look at this game, Langdon and Pavorius, your backup one and your backup two were better than Sam Benson and Marquez Warwick, your starters. So in a way, I'm like, wow, look at that depth. You've got a couple guys coming off the bench and Trey Robinson was also really good off the bench. So you had three guys that really made an impact. And uh, Chris Brandon going tandem with Adrian Nelson in the post really was a nice duo there because it kept each of them out of foul trouble, kept each of them fresh. So I think that's going to work out really well. But yeah, you just want to see Marquez and and Sam get on the page and get going together there as the starting backcourt, I think. How much of Sam was it? Hey, first games at home, you know, all that stuff. And and I look, he's a pretty cool customer, but still uh, first game is first game at any level when you're doing something new. How much of that was that for him? Maybe. Honestly, it wasn't even like he struggled, really. He just didn't – the shots didn't come his way earlier. He was more looking like a playmaker, and he did some of that. He he dished out some assists. He made a few plays defensively uh, in this one. And the great sign – and Coach Horn brought this up in our post-game interview. He had a late-game breakaway situation where, you know, hasn't really scored yet, got an opportunity to go in and dunk one. He has a teammate up ahead, and he just pitches it off to him and gives him the easy layup. But it's like he wasn't pressing at all. At no point did Sam have that look on his face like, oh, I've got to try to do more here. i got to get myself going or get myself on the scoreboard. So he was totally fine with it, and it wasn't something that was worrisome. But at the same time, you do want to get him to build some confidence in these earlier games because, I mean, even Friday night, UNCG is going to be a a tough matchup. Right. Any any other quick thoughts there on the beginning of the college basketball season here, Skinny? No, I mean, it, it, the first few days do make your head spin, right? I, I, there's two things I always have takeaways of just, it feels like there's a thousand games going on in the midweeks. I mean, literally a thousand games going on. And, and a good friend of mine, Todd Curlis, um, who's a big, he's a big Xavier fan. And that's what I'm going to the game with Friday. Uh, he's a big college, he's a big sports fan in general. He's a big college basketball fan. He he loves to pick out the weird teams playing, playing against like, the Mary Joneses of the worlds and the Bob Jones colleges. So he and I always try to look every night to figure out some of those weird teams. That's the best part of it is you're looking up because listen, everybody seems like they want to try to get their, their buy win, right? Like some teams buy win, no offense to NKU is NKU. Some teams buy win is Evansville. Evansville's buy win is somebody you've never heard of out of. No, I, I love those schools. They crack me up. Just looking at some of the names. Yes. I like the fact, man, I like Manhattan played Manhattanville on Tuesday night. I love I- it. I got news for you, buddy. Ain't a whole lot of people scheduling NKU as a buy game anymore. That's why they're headed to places like Indiana, well, Indiana and DePaul that have been struggling recently because none of the good teams are stupid enough to play NKU as a buy game. That's yeah, how that's that probably, goes. That, that's, that's probably true a little bit, but I do love some of these teams that, that, that play. You're like, where are they from and who are they? 
And I'm with you. I, I the ESPN three matchups we call those. I love scrolling through all the the goofy games that you see on ESPN three and seeing. Oh, it's headed into overtime. I'm going to click over to that one real quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoever they are. Yep. Here's here's one for you. Here's Hampton that played something called Mid Atlantic Christian. In case you're wondering, Hampton won by fifty. Just oh, Mid Atlantic Christian. I hear they're yeah, going to be good. tough this year. Yeah, they got a good they got a good uh, good wing. All right, let's get into college football talk. The unbeaten Cincinnati Bearcats moved up a spot to number five in the second edition of the college football playoff rankings on Tuesday night. Georgia remained at number one with Alabama behind them again at number two. Oregon was ranked third and Ohio State fourth. The Bearcats have been receiving some flack after their 28-20 win last Saturday over Tulsa when it came down to the wire with the Golden Hurricanes having multiple chances to score at the end of the game. Skinny, do you think there is cause for concern over the way the Bearcats are playing right now? Yeah, absolutely there is, because we talked about that after Navy. Of, ah, it's just a one-off, and Navy threw the kitchen sink at them, and okay, they still had the game kind of in hand until you know they did have kind of a prayer shot at the end, Navy did, but UC still kind of had it in hand. And just don't stack another one. Well, the Tulane one was lackluster. Well, all right, well, now you're coming back for homecoming, and game day's there, and you can put your best foot forward and show everybody now, because now game day's here, and you got more of a national audience, and everybody's stumping for you uh, on that telecast, etc., and then you have to survive a goal line stand twice. Don't excuse it for winning. I mean, that's the the bottom line is you can't lose. But um, at some point, you're going to play with fire and get yourself beat. And and I, the thing for me is teams are starting to run the ball on them. And I'm trying to figure out why that is. Yeah, where'd that come from? I mean, Tulsa right. is not very good. They run for 300 yards in this one, have over like 450 yards of offense or something. That's not the Cincinnati defense that we know. And while I don't have like giant concerns that they'll be able to figure the defensive side out and get their run defense back on track, I think they will. You brought up the whole point, which is you can't say they're bored. You can't say they're not focused on their opponent. You had two games back to back where everyone was like, okay, they slipped up a little bit there. That's not good. But at least some teams around them are losing in the college football playoff rankings. And with game day there, the whole focus on them, the spotlight is on them. They're definitely going to do it, right? And they come out flat again, and they have even bigger issues, like things that actually concern you a little bit with their defense. So, yeah, I mean, I think they've really screwed themselves in in a big way in terms of I don't know that they ever had a real chance to get in the college football playoff here, but you made it easy on the committee. You took the pressure off of them by going three straight weeks like this where you just barely squeak by against what everyone is calling your soft schedule. It yeah, just but, took but, away but, but, the, the argument in the case. But I, but I will say this. I do think the path is pretty clear for them getting to the college football playoff. It is Oregon losing again. And, and it is Ohio State beating Michigan. And it is making sure that Oklahoma doesn't run the table, which I don't think they will. They play a tough road game at Baylor this week, and they still have Okie State, and they'll still have to play in the conference championship game. And and, and there's Notre Dame. They're sitting down at number nine, and there's no question. I know we can talk about this with the Michigan-Michigan State thing. There's no question, though, you, you can't ever put a one-loss Notre Dame ahead of UC this year when they if UC finishes undefeated. You, you, you can't in good conscience do that. So I do think the path is clear, but I think you're right. If, if we get down to where we're talking about um, a one-loss Oregon and a one-loss Ohio State, and even maybe a two-loss Alabama. I, I didn't buy that, and I still don't, a two-loss Alabama making it, but I think there's going to be a conversation. If, if those are all the case and an undefeated Oklahoma, then, yeah, you kind of hurt your case with what you've done here the last few weeks and, and maybe what you do if you slop up wins down the stretch. So um, you turn the light bulb on for the final three, 
and technically Final Four if you get to the uh, the AAC championship game. You turn the light bulb back on somehow, some way, and I think they're capable of doing it. It's not like they've had a rash of major injuries that you're like, well, they're, they're fighting through this. and that. No, if you can do that, I, I think the freshness of that with an undefeated record and a little bit of chaos, you don't even need a lot of chaos around you, a little bit of chaos, I still think they sneak their way in. I think when all is said and done, I think Georgia beats Bama a second time. I think Bama's got a lot of flaws that 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 a good team like Georgia is going to completely expose, and I think two losses is going to cost them a spot. I do think Oregon's going to lose again. And so now I'm down to Georgia, and I think Ohio State runs the table. I'm down to Georgia, Ohio State, and then pick two others. And right now to the two others, I think UC would be the two others. Again, presuming a second Alabama loss. Do you think UC is in a better position now than they were you know, like right before the first college football playoff rankings came out? Or do you think they're I, I, in a worse position? No, I think they're in a, in a, in, in a better position, to be honest with you, because, because some of those teams have lost. Yes. And the fact that they got a chance to lose again, it's one thing if you look at Oregon and go, Oh man, they're so good. And they're not going to lose again. Well, they're not so good. And they still got, dude, Utah is really good. And they got to go to Utah. And actually, a former UC running back might help them out in Tavion Thomas, who had four touchdowns in the first half for Utah last week at Stanford. That Utah team right now is really good. They still got to play their rival Oregon State, which is pretty good. They still have to play the Pac-12 championship. They're losing again, in my opinion, somewhere along. If they don't, then good for them. They've earned it. They've at least then earned that point to be in, in my opinion. Um, but I think they do lose. And Alabama still has to play Auburn. And if Alabama plays the way they did against LSU against Auburn, they're losing that game, bro. They're, they're not going to win that game. And then they still have to beat Georgia. And I'm sorry, ain't nobody beating Georgia this year, in my opinion. They're just not. They're just too good defensively. They're, they're, they're just so mean. And, and yeah, I can see Michigan creeping up behind UC. But I think what that makes now is Michigan-Ohio State is an elimination game for one of those two teams. And so, again, UC just kind of has to stay the course and let the chaos ensue around them. And, again, it doesn't even have to be a lot of chaos. I'm just asking for a little bit. And the fact that Notre Dame now has crept up to ninth, you can't now just go, well, they've only beat Notre Dame. Well, yeah, buddy, they're ninth in your rankings now, Chief. So that's still a pretty damn good win that you can't take away at the end of the day. And a pretty yeah. convincing win, right? And not just, oh, boy, they squeaked by 17-16, neither team looked. No, they, 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 they won that game pretty soundly on the road in South Bend. I did see a uh, a tweet that had the listed betting odds, what they would be for most of the top teams if they were to uh, face off against each other in the playoffs. We were shockingly close with were we really? our, our predictions last week. Yeah, but I, I did see that UC would have been a two-point favorite if they went head-to-head with Oregon or if they were to go head-to-head with Oregon right now. I think that's about right, yeah. I, yeah. I can live with that. On a new, yeah, so that was uh, – I, I thought we were we – were, Pretty close. I, I heard some mixed reactions to our exercise last week, but uh, we weren't too far off on a lot of those lines there. No, because some people look at that through the prism of their team too, right? I mean, there's no way. Uh, you look at it through the prism of, of not being your team. Yeah. And, and, Rick, and Rick, then there's nobody. Honestly, if you go below Notre Dame, could Oklahoma State bubble up? Sure, because they would count themselves a win over Oklahoma, but that's just beating the number eight team, which isn't much better than beating the number 19 Notre Dame. And they've still got a loss on their resume. I just... I think you're down to right now the following seven teams to make it. Georgia, Bama, Oregon, Ohio State, UC, Michigan, because they would have a chance to beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten, and and Oklahoma. And I think that's it. I think that's where we're at. Yeah, it just seems like as more teams lose, it creates more leeway for the committee to get loosey-goosey with how many losses teams have and still move them ahead of UC. You know, like it's it's, it's whack-a-mole for UC right now. It's, 
oh, this team lost. Okay, they're moving down. Well, now these teams are in the hunt all of a sudden over us because it's more acceptable to have losses now. I yeah, like, but, but 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 again, one of those teams that's got a shot to bubble up is Notre Dame, and you've got you've got the clincher there, man. And yes, I know the committee put Michigan over Michigan State. It was certainly very debated, that's and, and it's very it sounds puzzling to me. To me. Um, I, I'm with you, and, and I and I get that. But you can't tell me that again. An undefeated Cincinnati with a one loss Notre Dame, as opposed to Michigan and Michigan State, both have lost a game. There's still the head to head for UC and Notre Dame, so they're kind of the the team that's got a chance to bubble up, finish eleven and one, and um, you know sneak their way towards it. But they're not jumping Cincinnati. They're just not. I'm sorry. I don't care what national cachet they have. There's no way in, in, in good faith anybody allows that to happen. All right. Any other thoughts on the college football rankings that came out on Tuesday? No, I just think the more you look at this, there's a line below. There's like a, you take like a Sharpie marker at Georgia and you you underline that Sharpie marker about 67 times. So it gets really thick. And then, then that's where everybody else is below them. And then you can put a bunch of, you can put the six or seven teams I mentioned in a hat and figure it out from there as the rest of this year goes along. You know what's going to happen. Georgia's going to lose to somebody. Alabama's going to lose to Auburn and then beat Georgia. Oh, boy. And then we're going to have a real fun debate on our hands, which it's not going to be a debate. Alabama will be in at that point with two losses. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> and then the conspiracy theorist to me would say, that's what the SEC tried to do, right? I wouldn't doubt it at all. Collusion at its finest. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. All right. The Bengals are on their bye week after dropping their last two games in disappointing fashion to the Jets and the Browns. They currently sit at five and four and are tied for last in the AFC North with the Browns. They'll take on the Raiders next Sunday when they return to action. We don't have a a clean midway point anymore in the NFL. So we're at the past the midway point here after nine games. Let's do a few superlatives, and then I want to get to an exercise that we did before the season started, where we went game by game through the schedule, and we picked win-loss and predicted a record. I want to see how close we are on these final eight games to what we said before the season, now that expectations have bounced around a few times. But let's start with a few superlatives here. First half MVP of the season for the Bengals. Who do you got? Uh, Jamar Chase. I I mean, he made so many big plays for them that, honestly, without him – um, I think they lose two or three more games. I mean, he made every big play that mattered, it felt like, in that first. Yeah, C.J. Uzama had the big play against Jacksonville, but it was Jamar Chase to start the second half who kind of sparked the offense with the 44-yard reception up the sideline. It just felt like every big play that had to be made by this team in the first half was made by Jamar Chase. And without him, I don't know who that big play guy is. I don't think it's T. Higgins. I know it's not Tyler Boyd. And again, I like both of those guys. They're just not big play guys. Jamar Chase gave you all you wanted and then some with what you took in that draft pick. He became not only the guy that might threaten defenses, but then threaten defenses and make plays against defenses. And honestly, without him, I think it's a two or three win team in the first half. I so, uh, That's an obvious choice for MVP. I don't think there's any debate. I don't, I don't think anyone else even has a choice. Uh, aside from Chase, is there another player that you'd pick as the most outstanding player on offense? Or is that too obvious too? Is it just Burrow at that point? Well, but but yeah, it, it is. But Joe's interceptions are starting to creep into the equation a little bit, which is a little troublesome. Um, no, there's nobody else on offense for me. Um, I, I think it's just clear cut him. If I had to take a guy on defense, I'd probably go Trey Hendrickson because um, when when teams were traditionally dropping back the pass as opposed to getting it out of their hands quickly, he gave you what you wanted. Plus, he was really good against the run, setting the edge for the most part. Um, so for me on defense, it, it was him. Because I think the big questions were, is he a one-off? Is this just is that just a one-hit wonder in New Orleans? Um, uh, many thought it was because he's getting some sacks, but he doesn't get the pressures that Carl Lawson does. 
Now, Trey Hendrickson was really good in that first half. And a difference maker on defense. Yeah, for me, I would go with Logan Wilson here. I, I thought I he, thought he regressed. I thought he, the last two games he really regressed, and that he disappointed did, me. He did regress, but I think you could say the same about Trey Hendrickson and the entire defense. I mean, he, yeah. Hendrickson wasn't getting to the quarterback, which I think made life more difficult on well, the middle but, of that defense. Yeah, but I, I go back to the fact of, of this, Rick, and, and I think a lot of that is how quickly guys were getting it out of their hands. And and the thing that also regressed in the last couple of games, in my opinion, was Larry Ogunjobi and DJ Reader. They weren't getting quite the push up the middle, which then allowed guys to take a three-step drop, a quick hitch, and get it out. And you're not getting around the edges and end at that point. You're just not. Not in that league. I mean, uh, you're, you're getting around it, at some point, but you're not going to get there. Yeah, but that's not every play either. You know, I mean, he still had opportunities. There are plenty of times that you get throughout the game to get to a quarterback, and he's still not doing it himself either. So uh, I think he takes a little bit of the blame. Everybody regressed there in the last two games on the defensive side. And I, I don't think he was an exception. So either one, I think is a pretty good choice here, but I would lean slightly towards Logan Wilson. I just feel like if they didn't have Logan Wilson in the middle of their defense, things would be a lot uglier than they are right now. Is there, a, right. is there a guy that you would pick as most surprising? Chidobi Awuzie, because I honestly, I don't remember him much in Dallas. And again, I don't watch every snap of every Dallas game, but you know, they're on enough and, you notice, I mean, I've noticed Trayvon Diggs this year, right? We've all noticed Trayvon Diggs. You don't watch Cowboys games religiously either, but we've all noticed him. I don't, I don't remember him. And when he came over, I, I when he, he got signed, I kind of went, oh, okay, well, at least he's been a starting corner in the league, and um, I, that's at least a positive. And let's see what he's got. I think he's been pretty damn good for the most part. I think I might go C.J. Uzama on this one. Uh, that's a good one. He's been inconsistent, but the. The two games where he's really flashed here and a couple other plays, he's shown us something that I don't know if we knew he had. I mean, he looked like a legit weapon in the passing game a few different times already in the first half of the season. I don't know if we can expect a few more games like that in the second half, but it seems like he has a pretty good connection with Joe Burrow, and he's shown off some pass catching and, and athleticism that I, I, I don't know that we, no, that's, we that, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one, too. And it, 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 it the, 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 the consistency of targets to him has been weird to me. That, it feels like there's – and I get sometimes it's defense-related, but it also feels like why is Drew Sample getting three targets in any game uh, that, that should have gone to three targets, should have gone to C.J. Uzama? Right. At least I know he's got a chance to make a play after the catch. I, Drew Sample I has no chance to make a play after the catch. None. I totally agree, and, and that's why I'm kind of curious to see, like, are they going to look into – that in the second half of the season say, hey, uh, we we might have a little something here with CJ right. Uzam and Joe Burrow. Maybe we need to use him a little bit more as a weapon and not just as an outlet of when he's a check down route, you can throw him the ball. So uh, I'm interested to see if they have a little more concerted effort on getting him involved as well here in the second half. All right, Skinny, we did that exercise at the beginning of the season where we predicted each game, came up with a projection for the Bengals season. I will give you the original prediction that we had at the beginning after we're done i don't want it to influence us in any way here so we'll start with the first game back on sunday november 21st next sunday Bengals at raiders what do you have well part of this is i want to see how the raiders and i'm gonna have to make this pick now and i will make it but i want to see how they react in this chiefs game coming up to all the chaos that's gone around them the last few weeks i mean yeah of course your 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 coach was forced to resign and it was almost like Maybe that was a good thing that he was forced to resign because then they won two games in a row. And then you got the Henry Ruggs situation and they go to New York and lose. And then you got the the uh, the Damon Arnett situation and they lose him. And and it just feels like it's chaotic every single week with that that team. And plus the the, the whole 
Um, Henry Ruggs was a big weapon for them. Look, they got Darren Waller in the passing game, but if, 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 if Henry Ruggs is out, can you target Darren Waller 20 times a game, which is almost what they have to do? Cause they really, it's Hunter Renfro and they signed Deshaun Jackson off the street to play for his 39th team in the league. And uh, how much does he have left in the tank? Probably not a whole lot. So I, I think the Bengals do get, get things right after this bye week. Um, and I think they go to Vegas and it's disheveled Vegas team. And I'll, I'll give the Bengals a win here. Maybe it's a pipe dream on my part. Shame on me. But I, this is more related to the, to the chaos surrounding them. And if they lose to the chiefs as well, then suddenly that's back-to-back losses. And, you know, maybe then they start doubting, can this new coach, can he be the guy that helps us through all this? And and so I, I part of me he wants to wait. I can't obviously for the extra purpose of this exercise. So I'm going to think that they're going to be disheveled and the Bengals go there and win. Yeah. I, I mean, in terms of talent and the way they've been playing that, they're a talented enough team. The Raiders are pretty good, and, and this would be a tough game. But I'm with you that at some point, you got to think this thing is just hanging on by a thread in that locker room. And if, you know, especially if they do lose another game, just things just completely fall apart there. There's so much chaos going on. I'm banking on that. I think the Bengals go on. They, they, they've got the extra week to prepare. I think they go on the road and get a big win in Las Vegas as well. So Sunday, November 28th, you got Steelers at the Bengals. What do you have here? Listen, Mike Tomlin deserves to be coach of the year at this point in the NFL. I mean, he has done he a does. magnificent job because that roster is just not very good. They're playing they're playing offense in a phone booth, and they continue to find ways to win. They've got Detroit. You talk about continuing momentum. They got Detroit this week. That gets them to six and four with a win, or, or yeah, six and no, yeah, six and four with a win. Uh, but I still don't think I think it's a very limited Steelers team. I think the Bengals showed that the first time. Yes, in likelihood, unless he gets hurt this week, Pittsburgh will have T.J. Watt back, so that will certainly affect the pass rush. Uh, to where, you know, remember the last game, they didn't get a sack that snapped the long Steelers streak of sacking the quarterback. But I still think the Bengals are better. So I'm, I'm going to give them a win uh, here, especially if they go beat Vegas at Vegas. Yeah, they'll be six and three. They already had yep. that bye week. That's uh, I think what was tripping you up there for a second. Yeah, um, OK. Yeah. So I'm with you here. I, I think the Steelers are a good matchup for the Bengals, too, especially with the way the Bengals defense is playing this year. As long as they tackle in that game and could get Najee yeah. Harris on on the ground. I think that'll be a win for the Bengals as well. Uh, back-to-back wins as they return to action. And that brings us to Sunday, December 5th, Chargers at the Bengals. Chargers have been wildly inconsistent, so this is a hard one no matter how you slice it. But I, you get the momentum going. I'm, I'm going three in a row. I think they win this game too. Wow. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this is a slip-up here, uh, a loss. Like you said, the Chargers are unpredictable. The Bengals are unpredictable. This should be a uh, highly publicized young quarterback matchup here between Herbert and Burrow. But I think the Chargers will pull one out just because, if nothing else, I've got the Bengals winning the last two games. I don't see them pulling out three in a row with the inconsistencies that they've been dealing with. So Sunday, December 12th, we've got the, the 49ers coming to Cincinnati to play the Bengals. That'll be... What three straight road games here? No, I three, mean, three home, games. home games rather here. Yeah, I'm I, I'm going to keep keep the ball rolling here. I, I think it's four in a row out of the bye week. I'm going to give them another win, get the nine and four, and then the Bucks about to stop here in a second. <laughs> I've got this as a win too, and I, you know, I mean the the 49ers. I go back and forth on them. I don't think they're very good, but they're. They're okay. You know, I mean, they're, they're decent. They're, they're dangerous. So this is, this is a, definitely a swing game could go either way. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and give the Bengals well, a win here. And, and I will say this, Rick, and when I did my preseason column, I put games in games, they should win games. They will probably lose in swing games. And truth be told, coming out of this by these first four, 
I would probably put the Niners more in the win category, and I'd li- probably really put the Steelers there too, but I think the Chargers and Raiders are swing games, and maybe the Niners would be considered a swing game. So there's, you know, you look at these, these are really kind of, all of them swing games for, for, for various and yeah. sundry reasons. Yeah, I, mean, I remember when that's we did the this the part. first time yeah. and you left them all as swing games, and I was like, well, that's a really good prediction right there. Uh, they're going to be somewhere between uh, uh, four and eight and eight and four at this point in the season, depending on how all the swing games go. That's that's a great prediction. Uh, Bengals at Broncos on the 19th. Skinny, what do you got on that one? I'm going to give them the L here. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm just going to give them the L. I, at some point, you're, you're going to lose in this league, and if they start winning the four in a row, yeah, you can argue momentum, but a road trip and all those things, I'm 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 giving them the L. I'm with you. I've got this one marked down as an L. Broncos have been better than I even expected before the year. We talked about in the in the preview that we thought they would be decent this year and competing for a playoff spot, but they've been pretty solid. Um, December 26th, day after Christmas, we've got Ravens at Bengals. Um, I think this is the Ravens revenge game. I do. Um, I, I think that they will come in here and you'll be th- feeling pretty bad about the loss to Denver and still in the playoff hunt. And Baltimore's in, in obviously a position probably at this point to, to not clinch, but in the, in a position at this point to be playing for the, the number one seed in the AFC, the way things have shaken down. And I just think they get their revenge in, in a, in a big way. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I think this is the, the Ravens revenge as well. Sunday, January 2nd, we've got the chiefs coming to Cincinnati for all the dysfunction of the chiefs. And they just have been a, a scuffling crew. If they beat the Raiders this week, Rick, and I think they do at home, they're six and four and, and probably feeling much better about themselves. And you still got Pat Mahomes and you still got those weapons. And at some point, and you could argue, well, where's the some point been so far? They've had some points where they've been pretty good. I mean, they, they hung 40, whatever on Cleveland in the opener. They hung 40 something at Philly at Philly. They hung 35 on somebody else. So they still can hang some points on people. Uh, this is still a quality chiefs team. That's a playoff team to me. And I, fi- I think by this time they're going to have things rolling in the right direction. So I'm going to give the chiefs the win and give the Bengals another L. This is a perfect example of how fans will talk all this smack about teams, but when it comes down to something like this, so so like people are saying the Chiefs stink right now, but if it's your team that's going to come down to the second to last week of the season and you need a win, you don't want to be playing play the Chiefs. God, I, I guarantee you that, and that's exactly the situation I'm in with this game. It's like you know both of these teams are going to need this game right here in the second to last week of the season, and – I'm giving that to the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes. I can't see it going a different way. So that's going to be three straight L's for me here. And that takes us to the final game of the season. Bengals at Browns. The Browns offense is just really hard for the Bengals to defend for whatever reason. It's the, it's all the boots. It's the fact that they run the ball so well. Baker just has a lot of confidence playing them. I mean, he's six and one against the Bengals in his career with a passer rating well North of a hundred. Um, that's, that's not now a small sample size. That's a pretty good chunk of games against your divisional opponent. It just feels like the way they run their offense it just it has the Bengals running around like chickens with their heads chopped off that he gets them on boots here and he gets them on a screen there and you get one guy running down the field with miscommunication and um, there's Donovan Peoples-Jones behind the defense and they hit a big play and then they miss a tackle and Nick Chubb goes for seven. I just think they, it's a bad matchup for whatever goofy reason for the Bengals and especially being on the road with probably probably a playoff berth on the line or at least seating on the line for either of these teams, both of these teams and, and certainly Cleveland in that mix. I, I, I think the Browns win it. I think the Bengals wind up losing the last four. Oh, that's a tough hit. I so, know it is. 
So I I said they're going to win this one. I just think the Browns, they'll get the revenge back after what we just witnessed. So um, we, we talked about the Ravens revenge game. I think this is going to be the Bengals revenge game right here, and they're going to go up to their place and, and get a big win. It's going to be a, a win that they probably need. I mean, well, well, if they, you know, if, if it, they get it, that might be a 10 and seven group. It makes the play. I think 10 wins definitely get you in this year. Or yeah, I would have them at nine and eight right here with going four and four too. down the stretch and same, same with you. So yeah, I mean, if you've got a chance to get to nine, eight and, or 10 and seven, you've got a chance to be in with the, the expanded playoffs and the three wild cards, seven teams overall. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's a game that both teams will likely need, but I'm going to, I'm going to be optimistic and say the Bengals pull that one out. It is fascinating though. When you look at some of like the predictive stats and the power rankings and all that, most of them have the Browns well ahead of the Bengals, despite yeah. how they've performed to this point. So yep. the numbers definitely think the Browns are a much better team. All right. Um, so, so Rick, we, we, we took that in the macro or the micro rather of game by game by game. Uh, it's one thing to do it that way. When you take it in the macro, just looking at those eight games in, in, in total, I don't find a clear-cut win there, and I find a handful of clear-cut losses. That's where I go back to, I know you make fun of it, I go back to there's so many swing games in there, and you're just not you're not going to lose all of them probably, but no. you're not going to win many of them either. That's why they're swing games. You're right. Well, And, and, and that's it, why four and four, no matter, no, matter how we, no matter how we did this, if we did it in the micro like we did, if we just looked at it in the macro, I think four and four is a best case scenario, maybe five and three, maybe. Yeah, well, and and actually, so what we had the first time when we went through those final eight games, when we did it before the season started, I had them at two and six over the final eight. You had them at three and five. Okay. And uh, our final records for the season, I had them at six and 11. You had them at seven and 10. I guess my my opinion of this team has changed for the positive a little bit. And my opinion about some of those other teams that they play in the final eight games has changed a little bit, but uh, for the most part, I think the way I look at it is if they go 500, the rest of the way four and four, which is what I have them. I think it's a, a legit possibility. It's something they're capable of doing based on what we've seen through the first half of the season. They've got a chance at the playoffs. Yes, and yes, I didn't expect I'd be saying that at this time of the year. So, Overall, I mean, I think you have to say it was definitely a success the first half of the year. They've made me more confident than I otherwise was before the season started. But yeah, I mean, you're right. They these are sweet games. They could very easily end up two and six down the stretch, like I originally predicted, and you know we'll be right about where we expected them to be. And, and Rick, let me go back to the first nine. And I'm just going to go with games that I find, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I, I I think I'm probably accurate in this. Games that I consider were de definite wins for the Bengals in the first half were the Jaguars, Lions, and Jets. They went two and one in those games. Games I consider definite losses for the Bengals in the first half at the Steelers, um, at and at the Ravens, and they went one and or, or they went two and zero oh in those games. And then the swing games I had were Minnesota, which was a win, Chicago on the road because it was on the road that ended up being a loss, so one and one. Packers I considered a swing game just because it was at home, and they lost that to go to one and two. And the Browns game here I considered a swing game, and they went one and so they went one and three in swing games, and two and zero oh in games I thought they'd lose, and two and one in games. So it, that tells you when we when we do it in the micro, it's one thing. When you look at the macro of it, yes, some of those games we're looking and going, yeah, I think they win that. They'll probably lose, and a couple of those. Can they beat the Ravens at home? Sure. Can they beat the Chiefs at home? Sure. Are they better than the Broncos on a neutral field? Probably. Um, could they go there and win? Sure. But you're not going to win all those. I don't think you're going to lose all of them probably either. But that's where these swing games are just, they're, they're just, they're, that's what, that's what I think changes your season. And then you really can't, you can't lose too many of the definite wins and they've already lost one of those. And they didn't have many definite wins to begin with, in my opinion. 
No, you're right. Anything else on the Bengals here before we move to our betting segment? I just know I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to have the weekend off. I feel good about that, Rick. Yeah, enjoy that. Put in some bets, or maybe don't, because the way we've been going the last two weeks, it might not be a good idea. You were five and nine last week. I was six and eight, so I at least gained another game on you, despite us both being under five hundred. You're sixty-two, fifty-five and one now. I am fifty-nine, fifty-eight and one. So we'll start on Thursday night, eight twenty p.m. We've got Ravens at the Dolphins. The Ravens are a seven and a half point favorite. The total is forty-six and a half. This game has gone from six and a half to seven and a half in a day. So obviously the money's coming in on the Ravens. Um, I don't know why I think this game's going to be close, but I do. Um, you know, you look at some of the road games for, for this Ravens team. They lost the Raiders. They barely beat the Lions when Tucker's field goal hit the crossbar. They did win at Denver, but didn't do a whole lot offensively. They've played some weirdly close game. I mean, the game against the Vikings was an overtime game at home. They came back to beat the Colts in overtime. They just seem like they let most teams hang around. And with this being on the road on a short week, I'll go 23-20. Uh, I'll give I'll give it 23-20 Baltimore. So Miami gets the cover and it stays under the total. All right. So you're on the Dolphins and the under here. Uh, just a little number there for you, because you, you know you're going with the the underdog here. Underdogs have been winning at a 57 percent clip so far again, wow. on the season against the spread. 77, 58, and one against the spread to this point in the season. So it has been a good year to be picking underdogs, and if they're they're bigger underdogs, even better. I'm going Ravens to cover this one, though. I think Miami's offense even though Tua is expected to be back for this one I believe I still think that the Dolphins have a lot of issues on offense right now they've been struggling um, the Ravens have had some issues on defense too so maybe that that counteracts and ends up being more of a shootout but I'm going to say Ravens 31 Dolphins 17 so that's Ravens and the over for me Friday 6 p.m switching over to the college side of things we've got the Cincinnati Bearcats in Florida playing USF the Bearcats are a 23-point favorite. The total is 57. Yeah, I, I just I, I got to take South Florida to cover this big number. At home, they've lost by 12 to Houston, beat Temple by 20, lost by 1 to Tulsa, um, lost at BYU only by 8, and beat the crap out of Florida A&M in their first two games. One was a road game at NC State and then Florida. I think the body of work shows that South Florida hangs around, especially the way UC's playing right now. I think UC wins it. Um, I'll go Bearcats 31, 23. So you or uh, UCF, USF and the, and the under for me after last week and getting burnt on the Bearcats again, not only on this show, but in real life, I thought I would swear them off. And then I look at this line and I look over the numbers for USF and I see them giving up 36 and a half a game. And I look at their defense and it's so bad. Tulane, Tulane, Tulane was giving up 46 a game and you see scuffle to get above 30. I know, but I have to think that this team is going to right the ship at some point. And I just can't in good faith, put my money or my good name on South Florida. I can't do it. I'm going to go ahead and take UC again and the points and the over, and I hate myself for doing it. I hate this pick. I would absolutely pick against me if I was a listener, but I have to do it. I can't go for USF in this. So you see in the over for me, 45-14. Saturday, 3.30, we've got Purdue at Ohio State. 
the Buckeyes, 21-point favorites, the total 63. Yeah, I think Ohio State lets them hang around enough. Purdue's proven to me they can they can hang in most games. I mean, even you look at some of their losses, it's the most they've lost was to Wisconsin by 17. Last few games, they, they got a win over Michigan State. They got a win over Iowa, one of those on the road. Um, they're, they're only they're only lost in the last four to Wisconsin, which honestly right now I'm not sure – I, I, they're playing really well. Um, they are. And they're, they're, they're actually one of the few teams that's winning me some money at the, at the moment because I'm starting to ride them. Um, they got the win at they got out. the win at Nebraska. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, Wisconsin talking about, it. but I think Purdue hangs around this game. I, I think they, they make it squirrely on Ohio State, and some of it is maybe the pressure of, of staying in the top four for the Buckeyes, and the fact that the schedule right now for Ohio State there is no breather. You thought Nebraska on the road might be a breather, uh, uh-uh, uh, and there's not, and still looming are Michigan State at home and at Michigan after this Purdue game. So just no breather for Ohio State. I'll go Buckeyes, thirty three, Purdue twenty four. So that would be uh, Purdue and the under for me. I'm with you on the under. Uh, I'm going to continue the trend we've got going right now. You're going with the underdogs. You're switching the sides and saying, hey, we've been betting on these local favorites and it's been burning us. You're going with the opposite approach. I'm going to chase money. I'm going to I'm, I'm behind on all these guys. I'm going to keep throwing my money at them. I'm going to Ohio State again to cover in the points, even though it's another big number for them. I'm going to go 42-17. So OSU and the under for me. Saturday at 7 p.m. We've got Kentucky as 21 point favorites at Vanderbilt and the total is 52. Vanderbilt is so bad. So They're bad. so bad. But right now, the way Kentucky's playing, how are they a three-touchdown favorite over anyone? Especially defensively. And and, and the the you know, I I get that they are on paper a better team, and I'm not here even to tell you that Vanderbilt's going to pull this upset by any stretch of imagination. But Kentucky just doesn't look right defensively. They were out of position a bunch of times. They had a couple of blown coverages. Teams are teams are are moving the ball at will on them. And yeah, I know Kentucky ran 99 plays and had 600 yards of total offense, and that's great. And they still lost the football game. Uh, I'll go Kentucky gets the win here. It's probably closer than I want it to be, but I'll go Kentucky 31. I'll give it a weird score. 31-18. So Kentucky and or uh, Vandy in the under for me. Yeah. I- Kentucky has been a bit of a disaster, but Vanderbilt is also the ultimate get-right game if you're in the SEC. I'm going to say UK puts it on them in this one and gets the cover 38-13, so I'm UK and the under here. That brings us back to the NFL side of the board. Sunday night, 8.20 p.m. Chiefs are a a two-and-a-half-point favorite in Las Vegas against the Raiders. The total is 51.5. Yeah, I just think the dysfunction of the Raiders – is going to get them here. Um, they're not great defensively either, and that doesn't bode well. Neither is Kansas City, but uh, maybe Kansas City gets a little confidence off the Jordan Love game, and that was probably more Jordan Love related than anything else. But they did stop the run in that game decently at times too. Um, so I'll, I'll go Kansas City here. I think they win this game. I'll, I'll go Kansas City 31-24. So the Chiefs in the over for me. So – I know just a few minutes ago when we were talking about the Bengals, I used the turmoil and the nonsense going on in the Raiders locker room to justify saying the Bengals will win. I'm going to be right on one segment of the podcast. Either it was the last segment or it's going to be this one because right now I'm taking the be Raiders consistent. to beat the Chiefs. Yes. Be consistent. I can't. I, I, I just want to be right one way or the other, finally, because I've been wrong so much recently. Uh, I'm going to go Raiders to pull out the one-point win here, 28-27. Raiders and the over for me. 
And then Monday night, 8.15 p.m., we've got the Rams as a three-and-a-half-point favorite in San Francisco against the 49ers. The total is 49 for that game. Yeah, the, the, the Rams were sailing along as arguably the best team in the NFL, and then lo and behold comes the egg they laid against the Titans. And the Titans are good. It just it felt like no Derrick Henry. What are they going to do on offense? And they really didn't run it very well. 2.7 a pop, 69 yards. But obviously, lo and behold, the Matthew Stafford interception bug bit them. And and I'm going to take that as a one-off for this year, although I've seen Stafford have games like that in his career and stretches like that. And that's why, you know, you can argue that he didn't didn't do as much as maybe you thought he could do in Detroit because the talent around him wasn't all that great at times. But some of it, too, you got to point the finger at Matthew Stafford and go, ah, that's the Matthew Stafford I remember. He was the MVP, arguably, for the first eight games. And now here he is going, oh, is this the Matthew Stafford, the inconsistent one we've seen? I'm going to take it as a one-off. I think they get this thing right. Von Miller is going to put some pressure on. I think he makes a a, a difference here. I'm going to go, and Frisco's not very good offensively. I'm going to go Rams. I'll go Rams 30, Niners 14. I think this is a comfortable Rams win in the under. Yeah, I'm on the same thing here. I'm going with the Rams and the under. Both of these teams are coming off bad losses. Um, neither one of them looked very good. I tell you what, that was a heck of a win by the Titans because both of us were expecting the Rams to control that game with Derrick Henry being out and uh, the Titans put it on them. But I think with Sean McVay and this offense, like you said, as long as Stafford can keep the ball in blue and yellow instead of throwing it to the other team, I'm going to go Rams 27, 49ers 21 here. Both of us on Rams in the under. That wraps up our betting segment. Let's switch over to some Ask Skinny Anything. And we'll start off with a sports question. You have to expect this was coming. We didn't talk about it at the top of the podcast. But this question is, after the last two weeks, what would you recommend a millennial Reds fan do? Give up on the team or bear through another rebuild? I'm worried 2020 is as good as this organization will be in building a winning team. The millennial Reds fan, I would swallow hard and take the rebuild and hope they get it right this time around. The older Reds fan, I would say, honestly, to hell with them. Go go pick somebody else. <laughs> go watch something else. Go do something else in your summertime. There's a lot of fun things to do in the summer that don't involve Reds baseball. Some of it does, you know, but um, I, 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 I can't do another rebuild. I'm, I'm tired of it. I, I don't need to see it. I'll go back and be a Padres fan again. That's fine with me. Well, we talked last week. We knew the Barnhart thing was coming. We knew the Castellanos thing was coming. Those weren't major issues if they but just the, but, happened. But the, but right, the, but the we, crawl com the crawl comments and then all these guys supposedly being on the block on top of it, that's the icing on the cake. And especially now if they deal all these guys. Well, the crawl comments is what raised the red flag. We said right away, that's not good the way he's phrasing that. And then lo and behold, we get the Wade Miley deal at the end of last week. And that's the one that really set me off. If that guy's not worth $10 million in your pitching staff based on what he just did this past year and based on the current roster situation you have, who is? And if you think you're still in a window to win, which now they don't think they are because they're going to sell guys off. That's the, other, that, that's the other alarming part to that. If, if you still thought, okay, yeah, okay, we're going to be okay without Tucker. We knew we wouldn't have Nick. We're, we're going to keep the rest as is. And even that shaved $23 million of payroll. All right, so we've shaved a good chunk there. Um, we still think we've got enough around it, you know, with, with you know, maybe even adding to our rotation. Um, you know, some of it's a little bit of the if-come-hope of a Senzel coming back or, or whatever and, and, and a Suarez bouncing back, whatever. But, but 
that that to me was the big red flag too. Of suddenly, if you still thought you could win, and you still thought you were in the window to win, and we're going to have a roster that was going to win, you would have kept Wade Miley for ten million dollars. And instead, you didn't even you didn't even do anything other than put him on waivers and let another team in your division claim him. Well, and what a brilliant negotiation tactic to a few days before you're going to do this. Go out and tell everybody, yeah, we're just going to be cheap this year and be cutting payroll anyway. So no one's going to offer you anything for Wade Miley because right, they know right. you're ultimately just going to cut him to shed payroll. So, I mean, it's just it is really disheartening if you're a fan of this team trying to find anything positive to look forward to. Why would anybody be planning to go to Great American Ballpark next summer other, well, other than for than the, the reason to buy overpriced beer and be out in the sun? Yeah, no, I mean, and, and, and honestly, I think you saw that kind of run its course very quickly this past season. Yeah, I, that, that's that's really all I have the energy to do on the Reds. I mean, what, what else do you say about them other than this is going to suck? It, it's highly but, You know what? That's what they should do. The PR staff, they always come up with those catchy phrases like run on your own gas or it's a new day. How about Reds 2021? This is going to suck. Or Reds 2022, I guess. For, for years to come. Because that's the other part. Can I do I trust Nick Crawl to be the guy to do the rebuilding? I, I don't I don't think I do. Does Nick Crawl even have a say in this at this point? I mean, that's he, a, he a sounds like a guy who got his, his dog stolen and he as he rolls out there and be like, Yeah, we're gonna, you know, some corporate mumbo jumbo about shedding payroll, essentially. And I mean, the words this guy was using sounds like an HR guy that's about to deliver bad news to an employee. Like, yeah, don't, don't point the finger at me, guy. We, we really liked your performance this year, but we're going to have to let you go. That I mean, that's the way he sounds like he's talking to the entire fan base right now. And uh, it's the whole thing's a disaster. It is a disaster. All right. This one coming from our guy, Jed Demusi. He said this was inspired by Mo Egger. If the number had to be the same, how many pancakes and beers could you eat slash drink in one sitting? <laughs> How big are the pancakes? That's that's a great question, right? Are we getting like those big fluffy are we getting the, the silver do- or the silver dollar jobbies? Yeah, I'm going to say the big like the full IHOP pancake here, the fluffy kind. I'm going to go cuz I know I can do far more beers than this and I do. Yeah. But the- <laughs> I'm going to I'm I'm going to go 8. Oh, wow. Really? See, I yeah. I think this would be I actually really hard I, I to do. I don't eat pancakes. No, wait a minute. Are we doing them at the same time? Yeah, yeah. You have to do pancakes and oh, so I, beers so wait a I gotta, the same I gotta, amount. I got to wash down pancakes with beer? Right. It's disgusting. Ooh. And it's Ooh. hard because pancakes are shockingly filled. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, th- I thought it was like take the number of pancakes you could eat and then equate that to the other thing and vice versa. Okay. So oh, maybe, maybe I'm confused. Maybe you're right. I was thinking as you had to do both at the same time. If it was both at the same time, I'm going to go. I'm thinking three. I'm going three. Yeah, I don't think I can wash a fourth beer down on top of three beers and a pan and and, and three pancakes. That I think I think I'd be busting at that point. Yeah, if we're doing the opposite, I think I could go six pancakes, maybe. Yeah, I, I think if I I think I could get to eight. I know I could get to eight beers. I, that 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 part would not be even close to an issue. Um, but the eight pancakes, yeah, that 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 might be stretching a good six packs worth for sure. Yeah. I can't imagine how awful your stomach would feel if you had to do oh, pancakes and beer, lands. like syrup, syrup oh. and beer on oh. your stomach. Oh, kill me. Oh, yeah. Is skinny a Christmas lights pre or post Thanksgiving guy? Uh, how about a neither? 
guy. <laughs> Knew that was coming. <laughs> how about that? How about how about that? It's usually my wife and kids putting the tree and putting the uh, the lights around the house. I I just I, I I like Christmas. I just it's just it's too much of a hassle for me. It just I I don't want to be a homeowner anymore. I don't. I just don't. I want a one room flat with a bathroom off to the side, and I'm good. That's all I want. <laughs> you just must be a joy to live with at home. <laughs> I just, I'm tired of the hassle of things. I want things to be easy. Homeownership is is a hassle, and I've I've had the hassle for 30 years now, man. I'm tired. Another 10 years, Lord willing, I, I, we're still able to do this podcast. So you're just going to be saying <laughs> breathing is a hassle. Why are we breathing still is alive a on this earth? Well, well, my 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 former radio partner Tom Gamble and I used to he used to have a great line. One of my favorites. You know why people die, Chief? They just get tired of living. <laughs> it was, it's one of my it's one of the great lines of all time. It really uh-huh. is. They just point. get tired of living. Tom Gamble, urban philosopher that he is. Yes. No, I love all aspects of my life. I just, being a homeowner and doing stuff like that, I just have, I have no time A and I have no interest B. If I get a handful of, you know, hours off, if I'm lucky, I just want to sit on my ass and do nothing at that point. Hey, who can argue with that? Uh, our our friend and colleague, Sheila Gray, commented yes but i can't make it public with a laughing emoji i have no idea what that's about sheila uh but (laughs) i appreciate you chiming in i just thought i'd throw that out there i don't know what she's alluding to but she she can't bring it up so uh finally we'll end with this and this is actually from mo egger so we get a question inspired by mo egger and a question from mo egger uh, maybe we should send him a check in the mail or something. Yeah, maybe, maybe. It says on Wednesday night, Skinny took his wife to Texas Roadhouse for her birthday. Is that true? Does Mo have inside info there? Yeah, well, here's the thing. So I, I usually do a, a segment with Mo every Wednesday. He's got Paul Daner on on Tuesdays, me Wednesday, Jay Morrison Thursdays to, to mix up Bengals conversation. And it's usually at 520. And all day I kept thinking, oh, that's right. I got to do most segment today. I'm assuming I do most segment. I think I got to do most segment today. And usually Taryn Bland, the producer, is a really good guy. You know Taryn. And Taryn right. usually will send me send me a little heads up around 4, 4.30. Hey, just making sure you're good for Mo today. And usually it's, I'm in the routine of the season. And and it's almost like, yeah, Taryn, I'm good. I, I you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I ne- I kept thinking all day I've got to do this. We left the house about 5.10 to go, go out. And I'll tell you why we went there here in a second. It wasn't just she and I. It was a group of nine of us, for goodness sakes. Two, three fam, three separate families. And that's the best place to go for, for all of us, just the way it worked out. So it wasn't like some romantic dinner that she and I were just going to alone. So there's that. But anyway, so I, I'm ta- we're having a conversation in the car. And it stopped for a second. So I turned the radio up. And at that point, I hear Mo go, well, apparently we can't get a hold of Richard Skinner. I went, oh, my gosh. So I look at my phone, miss a call, call him right back. He puts me on and told him what I was doing. So that's where he had the inside information of what I, where I was going last night. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't think anyone's criticizing Texas Roadhouse. In fact, that's not where this oh, question I think is he, going I, at all. Oh, I, I, think, I think he is, but that's okay. Oh, go ahead. well, he's taking shots. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. his, his question is, what are the best five things to do on a date that don't involve free dinner rolls and butter and chicken fried steak? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I I don't even consider anything a date any longer. So I mean, you're 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 kind of still you're not in the well, dating game. You're you're. I mean, aren't you just the, the the romantic? Yeah, I don't want to decorate out the house, and we don't date anymore either. Yeah, I mean, we will occasionally go to a to a show together. We a lot of the stuff involved our our kids and going to their events and um could, could going to watch my daughter in theater was that a date? I mean, I guess it was. I yeah, I just. 
I mean, it's just not me, man. It just is what it is. I'm just going to go ahead and be the edgy guy, uh, the bad boy of the podcast that says coitus. Yep. I think uh, I think coitus would be a better thing to do on a date that didn't involve free rolls and butter and chicken. Oh, date. my heavens. My I don't heavens. think it's a trick question. I'm just going to make the obvious answer here. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, but by yeah, the way, I, I, I love some chicken fried steak from Texas Roadhouse. I have no issue we, with this dinner. Choice. We, we we split the prime rib. It was good. I mean, we, it had to be a quick meal for me. I had basketball practice at seven. We met at 530 with a group of nine of us. Had a nice time. We got a chance to all visit, celebrate her birthday. We went back over to my daughter's house. We My my, my youngest, who is um, who works at Disney, Disney World in Florida, she got off at 915. We ended up singing happy birthday with her in FaceTime and had a cupcake and sipped a glass of wine and celebrated the birthday, got presents out, the whole shebang, and it was a nice night, all told. All right, babe, I got to go teach some ball screen coverages. I'll see you later. <laughs> she, she knew. Happy birthday. She she knew. I dropped the fort and go, I got to go. Have a good night. See you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a world. What yep. a world. I can't imagine yep. those wonderful people that put up with you on a daily basis. Yeah, my, my daughter, my youngest daughter keeps asking when I'm coming to Orlando to visit. And I, did, I told her, I said, middle of May. And she goes, oh, come on, Dad. I said, well, you pick out another time when I can come, sister. And she kind of looked at, she goes, oh, you're probably right. I said, yeah, I know I'm right. I can't come any other time. So I'll see you in May. <laughs> see you on FaceTime until then. Love you. I do. I love her. You need. But, you guys need to schedule. A, Beachwood needs to schedule a home and home with uh, some Orlando teams. So, well, it's funny. I actually was asked to broadcast the tournament in Orlando the the last week of December, um, which would have worked out perfectly, except that I'm coaching in a tournament and I still have to cover the Bengals at that point. So yeah. it, it it could have worked out. It did not work out. Not ideal. No. So, all right. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. I'm father of the year, husband of the year. Just remember that at all times. <laughs> yeah, you're, we're all trying to play catch up with you right now. Yeah, you bet. Um, yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. It won't. It won't be very hard for you. I'm gonna go try to get some reservations at uh, Texas Roadhouse right now, and that's it was that's cr- all we have for asking anything, dude. I, when I walked out of there, I, I will say when I walked out of there at six forty-five yesterday, last night on a Wednesday night, dude, there was a waiting. There was like. 16 people waiting outside. Uh, Yeah, that wasn't just a one-off. That's every night. That's why people that I don't know who complains about Texas Roadhouse because there are certainly a whole lot of people in this area that are going there every single day. Yes. Yes. There we go. It's, 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 it's a, it's a good place. So yeah, it's, it is packed. (laughs) All right. We appreciate it. Thanks for the questions. Uh, We'll be back next week with yet another in this great podcast series. No Bengals podcast this week on a Sunday because the Bengals don't play and there's really no reason to talk about it. At that point, we'll talk about more Bengals next week on this podcast. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition, presented by Ryan Keith of Prime Land.